Shamai, welcome back. Sponsoring the podcast today are the Aardvark Group. The Aardvark Group provide defense and security solutions for a complex world. Founded in 1982, Aardvark has established itself as a major player in its field, renowned for its exceptional technology and innovative propositions that have supported countless defense ministries, the humanitarian and NGO sectors, and commercial operators in theaters of war and post-conflict environments around the world. Aardvark is foremost a humanitarian organization, working to help rid the world of the explosive remnants of war. Their technologies are uniquely developed by operators, for operators, which ensures that every product, system or platform that they have or provide conforms to the essential criteria of stability, survivability and reliability. Aardvark know that to have a truly lasting positive impact, their technologies must be cost effective. So they've commissioned a number of projects with their research partners to develop technical innovations with the core aim of delivering affordable solutions that can be deployed directly into communities to reduce the incidence of accidents and deaths due to explosive threats. The Aardvark Group are headquartered in the UK and have offices in the USA and the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. They develop technically innovative solutions which support a number of critical sectors. Their portfolio of solutions is extensive with all elements fully interoperable and capable of being integrated into your existing operational platforms. The Aardvark Group also have an online shop where they provided a discount code exclusively for HOUR listeners. That discount code is H-H-O-U-R. Enter that at checkout when you go to their shop to buy... For example, Aardvark merchandise or Aardvark kit and equipment you can buy for on the man or on the woman or on the person operating in post-conflict zones such as very convenient pocket kits, pocket first aid kits or trauma kits like drop leg stuff they've got. you love it. Aardvark.group is the website. H-H-O-U-R is the discount code. Thank you, Aardvark Group, for sponsoring the podcast. Also sponsoring the podcast are the development society if you want to surround yourself with like-minded people who enjoy fizz care about others and want to improve themselves on a daily basis devsock is the place to go not only all of those things but there is a healthy amount of stoicism floating around being sprinkled on in the year of the development society devsock for short the development society is a community of like-minded dudes who want the best for each other from insanely cool products to weekly Zoom, yoga sessions and more, there is tons to get involved with with the Development Society. The best way to keep up to date with them is to sign up to their Daily Waves newsletter on their website. Their website is devsock.shop. Scroll down, you will see a little box, an opportunity to put in your email address for the Daily Waves newsletter. No spam. No bullshit, just useful info, useful invites to events, useful gen from DevSock, straight to your inbox. They also have a shop where you can go and buy DevSock merchandise. Very cool. This is not normal stuff. They have a range of different things. I love the variety of their products. I loved their mugs that they did. The bam- they were bamboo. Bamboo? They were bamboo mugs. John Deere style baseball caps, whole host of stuff. And the stuff is not available all of the time. You need to check into the shop regularly, right? Because they only make certain things available at certain times. They like to keep us on our toes. So go to devsock.shop to t- check it out. 
uh, check the shop out, check the merchandise out, and most importantly, to sign up for the Daily Waves newsletter. That's it. Go and sign up for that newsletter. Also sponsoring the podcast today are Rugby for Heroes. Rugby for Heroes have got their next event coming up very, very, very soon. In fact, they've got two events coming up very, 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 very soon in January, okay? We're right at the end of 2021 now. Those events come up in January. you got to keep a tab on what they are doing. Rugby for, Rugby for Heroes raise money for military charities. They do this through organising fundraising events, predominantly revolving around the game that is rugby. And, of course, things associated with rugby, like beer drinking, alcohol drinking. They've expanded their their um, scope of events over the last couple of years to include more things than just the original Rugby for Heroes Festival that they kicked off with back in 2009. Now, to complement that, now, in addition to the Rugby for Heroes Festival, they also do supper clubs. They also organise beer and gin festivals. Awesome events. I first went to my I went to my first Rugby for Heroes event, I think it was 2018. I've been to every single event since and I intend to go every go to every single event in the future. And touch wood, I'll be able to do that. They were formed in the wake of the death of Private Joe Whitaker, who was sadly killed on operations serving in Afghanistan with the Parachute Regiment in 2008. And since Rugby for Heroes formed in 2009, they have raised in excess of £114,000 for military charities, which is an incredible amount of money considering they are very, very small organisation in terms of management behind it, a core group of individuals who are behind what is being done, headed by the incredible Michael Valance. Like I said, the next events are coming up in January. I will be at both of them. There is a supper club coming up, and there is a rugby-oriented event in Hereford. So, get on to rugbyforheroes.org and follow Rugby for Heroes on social media, at rugby4heroes to get the gen on what's coming up. And I'll see you at one or both of the events in January. Also sponsoring the podcast today are Combat Cigars. Combat Cigars is the only British military veteran-owned combat cigar company. Combat Cigar Company? Cigar Company in existence right now. It is the only one in recent decades. I don't think there's ever been one before anyway. Holy military veteran-owned. I am one-third of Combat Cigars. I'm very, very glad to be a part of it because it's really exciting. It's really cool. It's really happy. Combat Cigars have got three blends at the moment. Actually, there's a fourth blend coming in. The first three are robusto-sized. They are suitable for cigar-smoking connoisseurs or if you're brand new to cigar-smoking, these will suit you. We've got the Oath of Allegiance blend. We've got the Victory and we've got the Last Post. And we've got a fourth cigar coming in, which is a longer cigar, but it's narrower in gauge. It's It's The size of it's called like a Churchill Short, right? And this one is called the Centre of Mass. It's going to be in, in time for Christmas. Combat Cigars, we source our cigars from Colombia, from a family who has been rolling cigars for over 200 years. And we are the only people they roll for in the UK. And the cigars we get from them are only rolled for us. The cigars that we get, you cannot get anywhere else. They are ours. There's no copying us. There's no mimicking us. We're Combat Cigars. When you were thinking of getting a cigar for an event, or getting a cigar, yeah, for any event. Maybe it's a dining in. Maybe it's a dining out. Maybe it's a platoon piss-up. Maybe it's a ship piss-up. Maybe you've just come off tour. Maybe you're going away on tour and you want some cigars to bring with you. Think Combat Cigars. Combatcigars.co.uk is where you want to go to take a look. 
like I said, wholly veteran owned. That is who we are. Three snipers behind it. All uh, all of us out now and um, all of us enjoying the journey that is Combat Cigars. And you will too. At Combat Cigars on social media, combatcigars.co.uk. My guest today is Andy Furness. Andy served both in the Royal Navy and the Royal Air Force um, in multiple different roles and responsibilities and jobs. Most of it, almost all of it, was uh, on helicopters. Um, he spent a significant amount of time doing search and rescue operations, but also supporting special forces operations with 7th Squadron in the RAF. He is the CEO of Amber Tiger, and he is the co-founder of Templar Spirit Gin. This is HR Podcast. My guest today is Andy Furness. Enjoy. How people pronounce it? Not overly. Sure. No, 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 no. I've been called worse. <laughs> the other, my surname gets pronounced correctly most of the time. Yeah. It's Kia. Yeah. Then you get the Kerr. <sighs> what word are you reading? Yeah, yeah. And then, you, and then it's the variances in spelling. Uh, yeah. But um, anyway, first world problems, mate. It first is. First world it? problems. Good job in the studio. Thank you very much. Um, I felt really guilty actually. When, the, when we were down at the Aardvark yeah, yeah. event. Yeah. We were both intoxicated. Yeah. Completely yeah. pressured you into saying yes to the podcast two days late to come on two days later on the mon- on the Monday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder if he's gonna turn up. He's never gonna turn up. He's never gonna turn up. There it was wasn't no until way. I got home that I was like, I think I've just agreed to do something there. I think I've had a great bit of cajoling that is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. However, how many however many weeks later is now? Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Right. What were we talking about? Oh yes. So on the pre-pod interview, yeah. When you were talking about when you were serving, yeah, yeah, uh, and you said, "Let me think about this." What you said uh, when you left the military, so you left in twenty eleven, same yeah. as I did. Yeah, you had to learn to be the Andy you were before, because yeah. the Andy when you were serving was not the real Andy. Yeah. Let's exp- let's get into that. Let's dig deep Come into on, that. That's into deep, it. isn't it? Should turn the lights out and put some Pink Floyd on, mate. We can all talk about it. Um, yeah, I think you know, joining. I, I joined the I joined the Navy at sixteen, so I went straight straight into the Navy. Um, and I think you know, you join the Navy at sixteen in eighty five, Cold War kind of era. You raise your eyebrows. Oh, I said eighty five, Cold War era. I'm you know, four years old. <laughs> <laughs> we kind of um Are you fifty two? Yeah, yeah. Jesus. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Why look are you right, younger than me? Why are you look- I'm forty, mate. You had a hard paper round. I you? did have a hard paper round, yeah. yeah, yeah. I had a hard career. Yeah. Right, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, this navy yeah, None of this navy and flipping RAF helicopter malarkey. <laughs> um Yeah, so I I, jo- I joined the Navy at sixteen, you know, and at that point it was we were on the ships, and you know, I did two six months dep- over my sixteen years in the navy. I did two deployments to the Far East, six month deployments. You know, it was great. It was like there was no real, no real war fighting going on. You know, we did some Afghan, uh, we did some Iraq Gulf stuff. Um, 
mid 90s did the bosnia stuff in the mid 90s but you know we're up and down the adriatic not really with the guys on the ground what so were you flying? Uh, i was an engineer then so i was a helicopter engineer from 85 through to 96 and then i transferred to become a navy air crewman um, on specific airframes or not uh yeah i was on uh, uh sea kings the old sea kings great great aircraft and um, I started off doing, uh, did an anti-submarine tour. So I was an anti-submarine air crewman for about a year or so, 18 months. Uh, then when I did search and rescue down at Cold Rose in Cornwall, did that for um, about 18 months again. Um, and then I wanted to go to the commando world, Seekings. Um, Navy weren't having it, weren't going to draft me. So I phoned up the RAF, said, this is me. I want to come over and do that kind of battlefield helicopter stuff, support helicopters and transferred, yeah, transferred in 2001. Go back to the anti-submarine stuff. Yeah. We're doing anti-submarine air equipment. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Seekings, anti-submarine Seekings at the time. So oh, you would sit in the back, be a crew of four, two pilots, an observer and an air crewman. Um, this was before Merlin's, before it all went, before it was a digital, we were like analog air crewmen. So we would sit in the back and we would operate all the sonar equipment in the back of the aircraft. So there was an active sonar, which was you get um, uh, like a transducer face on the end of a cable that would go into the water, ping out sound. And oh, do right. that. So oh, that's that physically hang from the heli into the water. Yeah so, uh, yeah, so it would go on a cable, a transducer mm. body would go on a cable out of the center of the aircraft ping out sound, active sonar, and then it would wait for its ping to come back and do all its business. The other side of life was what's called passive sonics, which was throwing sonar boys out, which you then lay in patterns, wait for the submarine to drive through it. It would pick up frequencies, uh. and then dependent on where those frequencies were, depends on you then have the ability to pick up which direction it's traveling, what speed it's traveling at, various magic um, and then that would be the observer sat next to you or a navy call of observers navigators whatever you want to call them observer sat next to you he would have a tactical overview so he would drive the aircraft around where he wanted to lay sonar boys where he wanted the aircraft to be and then between us we would get the drivers in the front to drive us around and, and do that so yeah, yeah it was good it was good i think it's one of those things that you I did it for 18 months. It was good. I wouldn't want to do it for any more than that. It didn't flick my switch massively, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the time I had. And there were some great guys on there. And, yeah, we had some good times. And we went away. Like I say, well, before I started as an air crewman, I was a, an engineer, and I used to fix all of that. So I did all the radios, radar, sonar. So I did that for 10 years and then thought, breaking them's got to be easier than fixing them. <laughs> which it is so then i transferred to become an air crewman yeah, yeah and did that and then left left there and went and did search and rescue for 18 months with the with the navy, navy with the navy so i was down at 771 squadron down at cold rose again so i i went to cold rose in july 86 and i left in 2001 april 2001 when i joined the RAF. so what we would do is you'd get drafted to an air station and you just bounce around the squadrons 
internally go away and do promotion courses and professional courses but generally you just bounce around the squadrons and stay there so I did all three carriers Invincible, Illustrious and Art Royal uh, six months in the Far East in Art Royal in 88 as an engineer it was like 17, 18 I had my 18th birthday while I was away so you know when you that's magic for an 18 year old to be doing that Hong Kong Singapore um, Mumbai all of those it's a brilliant trip um, and then I went back again I was lucky enough to do it as an air crewman on the illustrious in 97 for the handover of Hong Kong oh, yeah. which was brilliant mega went out to Japan and that was brilliant to do it as, a, as an air crewman um, and then I did the bit in between on the invincible I did three seven month back-to-back deployments in the Adriatic for all the Bosnia former Yugoslavia stuff what was the RAF like compared to the Navy <laughs> Is there a, a big difference? Yeah. I don't know. So yeah, 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 massively. Massively. I think the... the um, be careful here. The, um, just pull that mic down slightly. Down, 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 down. Yeah, good. Um, yeah. Uh, the, they're two very different beasts, and the people, the people that are in them are two very different beasts as well. Um, and the attitudes... Are very different as well. Really? Yeah. I yeah, thought, yeah. They strike so anything that's not army strikes me as very similar. So you, yeah. Navy and the RAF are equal, no. equally as uh, fluffy as the, as the other. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> fluffy. That's, that's a nice term. Um, no, I don't think so. I think you know, I had a, my 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 view of the RAF was very specific. I went to the RAF. I went to one aircraft type, and I went to one squadron within that aircraft type. And I stayed there for 10 years and then left. So the squadron that I went to and the stuff I did with the Air Force um, is most akin to a Navy squadron. The, na the Navy is very... <clears throat> um, banter and all of that kind of stuff is absolutely brutal. In the Navy? Oh, yeah. Brutal. Um, they can drink as well the Navy good God can they drink um, but the camaraderie is is just mega they look after each other whereas you know there's certain sling the RAF under a bus go on do it I, no. I know it's coming no, no, I'm, not gonna sling, I'm, not gonna, I'm not going to sling them under a bus I'll just push them <laughs> gently <laughs> I'm not no you know I had a great time in the RAF the, the attitude was very different to the Navy. Um, More civvy orientated. Uh, yeah. 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 It's like, yeah. It, it, yeah. We'll just leave it at yes. I remember, uh, yeah, everything, they're all different colors, aren't they? I remember my sister, when she was an air cadet, she went to, oh God, I don't know. I know, I know where she went. She went to Lynham because the point of the story is Lynham. Yeah. Anyway, she came back. It was a, she got a certificate for something. I don't know what it's for, but on the certificate, it, it was like the, the branding of it. It wasn't um, you know RAF Lynham. It was Team Lynham and a shooting star. That was it's like what the fuck? Yeah. What? Yeah. What beast is that place? Yeah. What on earth? 
It's Team Lynham. I was disgusted. I, I hadn't been in the reg long. Either. I was disgusted. Like, I think. I think. <laughs> I think some of the. Um, that they don't necessarily do themselves any favours at all. So o Odium. So I was at Odium with the Chinook Force. <clears throat> Mega. That is. That's a great attitude. You know that. Because nine times out of ten, they're with guys on the ground so they're lip, uh, humping and dumping and and guys on the ground generally first in last out the first thing that anyone wants to move anyone around a battlefield is a chinook and the last thing they want to carry all their blokes off the ground is a chinook so you're generally first in last out and it's a shitstorm while you're there generally because you know you guys on the ground are never going to want to go anywhere nice <laughs> so so that side of life it's like it's very much uh, the support helicopter world within within the air force do a, do a brilliant job shouldn't for i'm going to be biased because clearly that's my background and i love them they're a man's aircraft they're amazing amazing bit of kit saved my bacon on numerous occasions but you look at the rest of it you know we've all had that experience where you you know you fly into the falkland islands you got to fly out of Bryce Norton. Your flight's at seven in the evening. You got to be here at four in the morning, so we can all sit around and have a sir, ladies, gents. You know, the, the, the reputationally, it doesn't do anybody any good. And then you know, in the press and the media, what was the last one was up in. I want to say Waddington might not have been. They've given everyone electric scooters, and they're all like whizzing round on electric scooters and stuff. And it's all in the prey. You're like, oh, really? really? Yeah, 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 really, and. I mean, they don't have to be like the army. They have to be different. There's a reason that that there's a reason that actually's there, right? Yeah, the reason yeah. It works. Yeah. In the same way, like navies, we uh, I had the same experience as navy though, but just because it's different. Yeah, yeah. That's always just just something that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and having done, you know, with my lad being in the army now, so between us, between two of us, we've done all three. <laughs> we've done all three services, so you can. We've got a great look at all of them. Um, if the Navy had given me what I wanted, I would never have left. I jumped from the Navy purely for the job because I wanted to go and do that kind of battlefield support helicopter stuff. So what what years were you doing that? So I left the Navy, uh, I left the Navy in 2001. I joined 7 Squadron down at Odium, the SF Chinooks. And I stayed there until I left 1st of April 2011, so pretty much bang on 10 years, Holy give shit. or take. Um, and did, um, I think I did nine, eight or nine Afghans, four Iraqs, and then other did the 7-7 bombings and a couple of other bits and pieces in the UK, hostage rescues and that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, what, yeah, uh, and it was what, mega. What did you do in this, what? Say that again. With seven. Seven Squadron, so they would do. They would have a standby capability in the UK, twenty-four hour global standby. So if an SF unit wants a, an aircraft, you want to go and do a hostage rescue somewhere globally. Chances are you'll have two Chinooks and whatever squadron will go with it. So, um, yeah, it was a proper. I am listening. I'm just writing, I'm writing something down to ask you when we're not recording. Okay. 
yeah. I'll forget otherwise. I'll forget. Yeah. Forget. Um, so yeah, you know, uh, to come across and do it, it was everything I wanted it to be. It was that professionally, it was that whole kind of you want to fly. So you, I wanted to, I wanted to try to fly in helicopters. That's what I wanted to do. It's brilliant. It's exciting. It's great. It's it's boys' own stuff. The Navy was mega. Really enjoyed it. Had a great time. Search and rescue was brilliant. No days the same, you know. And you you are you're helping, you know, you do 90-odd rescues over the 18 months or whatever it was that I was there, ranging from some woman that had thrown herself and committed suicide off the top of 300-foot cliffs into uh, north of Newquay to a lady who'd had a heart attack on the Scilly Isles to a fisherman 200 miles off the Scillies that had got a, a hook in his eye or, you know, it's a, or a bloke who'd got hit by a a bloke on a motorbike who got hit by a bus on the roads in Cornwall. To, so, you know, it's everything's different. It's brilliant, really good. And again, small units. And I think that's what I like that there was only ever, when I was on there, there was only ever like three aircraft, four aircraft. Very few of us <clears throat> doing it. What was the turnover rate of people like? Um, you were on there a while, actually. Um, it was quite a small, and again, when you kind of get involved in small units, people look at you and you know, you think, yeah, they think you're this, they think you're that because you're on a small unit. You're not, you just, you're flying the same, it was the same as seven, you know, you go and do bloody seven squadron, fucking SF, think they're this, think they're that. No, we take troops from A to B the same as everybody else takes troops from A to B, except we deliver them at B, different to everyone else. We're still flying blokes in the back of an helicopter and. It, yeah, don't make us any, don't make us any different. Don't make us any better. We just do a, but you you just you just do a different job, you know. So um, yeah. So how did you get picked to go to seven then? Does it work like that? Because yeah, yeah. So I when when you do that, you do your OCF. So I came over to the RAF. I ended up I'd done sixteen years in the Navy, and then I ended up going and do a basic training again at Cromwell with like eighteen year olds. Which was tack there was me and another Navy crewman, both of us on there. We I can remember on my hands and knees scrubbing a toilet floor at, at like half ten at night with this other Navy crew and we we're both going, The fuck are we doing here? <laughs> uh but it was worth it, passed out of there. Then um I was due to go to RF Shawbury and do um a six month course crammed into a year to teach you how to do your voice marshalling and all that kind of moving aircraft around. But because I was already qualified as a already qualified air crew, um, we ended up going straight. I, went, I ended up going straight down to Odium. Um, and I did like a, a six week conversion course. And then I ended up going on a full OCF. So a full six month OCF to convert onto the Chinook. And then during that period, you you put in a request of where you want to go um, and then at the end of your OCF it gets decided where you go and the way you find out is you go and have a for us it was Guinness, I don't know whether it is now you get a pint of Guinness, you have to neck your Guinness and there's a little sticker on the bottom of your glass that tells you for its colour represents what squadron <laughs> you're going to so I, I tip mine over and it had a dark blue sticker on and I was off to seven yeah yeah so 
you know, I had a good OCF. There were people who put on my OCF that were just as good who had good, OCF, you know, I don't know how I ended up there, but, you know, I did, and I'm pleased I did. Um, and I had a brilliant, brilliant time there. Yeah. So you say you were involved in 7 7, the response to it? Yeah, 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 yeah. So. Talk about that um, Yeah, they st it, it was pretty, it was, they stood up the standby squadron from Hereford. So uh, where were you at the time? Well, I was, I can remember actually, I was taking my, I was living in Reading at the time, and I was taking my daughter to go and see her mates, and uh, <laughs> my pager went off, and it was like, sorry, I had to take her back home, jumped in the car, went to work, and we went down to, I think we went down to Carewent initially, met up with the standby squadron at Carewent, um... I think was B Squadron at the time. It was because Billy Billingham was the SSM at the time. Um, and we did so we did a couple of days there, and then we we repositioned to Lynham, and we just sat at Lynham for just waiting for, and then nothing ever happened. So they're like, "Why don't it stand down now?" <laughs> there's lot in that job. There's lots of it looks really glamorous, and you know. Flying the SAS and this and that. There's a lot of hurry up and wait. Lots of sitting around. Lots of brilliant, let's go and do it. No, it's all been stood down now. Let's all just go home. So yeah, it takes a massive toll on your family life. Massive. But you know that when you take the job on, you know. So yeah, that was it. It was a bit of a, you know, the, the bombings happened in London. Um, You know, we were all at... Visions of, yeah, it's fast rope people onto the roof. We'll be on the telly. It'll be mega. No, we sat in an hangar for a couple of weeks and then went home <laughs> at Compo and went home. So, yeah, yeah, that was our response to that, yeah. Yeah, I had a similar situation in uh, <coughs> in Iraq. And it was it was going to be the alliest thing I'd ever done at the time. I was like, oh, my God, this is, this is alley. <laughs> yeah. And it was when the um, Hereford guys got uh, captured. Oh, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. And... Um, my sniper team, we were dispersed throughout the rifle in the rifle platoons with the, with the rifle companies out there just doing an optelic. Uh, yeah, f uh, uh, oh, I can't remember which one it was, <coughs> but the op was going down to go into the, the cop shop to, yeah, get, yeah. to get the hair of the guys out. Yeah. So it was a uh, cop here getting snipers together. I'm like, what you know, like this, this stuff never happens, yeah, and we're going to go in and bolster the Hereford up going um, and the job would be take out the sentries while Hereford went went breached basically yeah and at when it, we started off Meg Rally in the ops room getting briefed up the guys getting getting the, getting their bolt actions out of the armory and getting all green spot and all the rest of it which just had sat there we hadn't had to use it up to that point yeah um, I'm getting asked if I would like any of my I'm a Lance Jack mate oh the Lance Jack was a screw it was a screw Getting asked uh, if I'd like any of my uh, my maps laminated because they give me the maps of Basra that we'll be going into. I was like, fucking right, go on, go on, laminate my maps. <laughs> <laughs> go on. <laughs> Some like one pitho, take, put two, two of my maps very laminated and came back. I was like, this is the greatest day ever. Yeah. And went into uh, a staging point. Hereford flew in. Um, there, one of the guys who got off, I hadn't seen him for a few years. Since when he was back in three power, like fucking hell, brilliant. He was, he was now in, uh, I can't remember which squadron it was. Um, long story short, 
they ended up changing the plan and they went in without us and me and the team we sat in a fucking rubbish dump for about 12 hours yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. what happened they went that's from it. the greatest that's... day the shittest day the... like the worst day ever yeah that's the glamour in it didn't didn't even cock the flipping you know didn't even um chimber around in the boat action just sat in a rubbish dump stinking his shit while everyone got there that's the that's the glamour everyone goes oh it must be mega no i've sat in some shit crap yeah i've sat in some shit holes yeah um yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) same old depressed now yeah 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 so uh what did you do when you got out then why did you go oh did you full time I did uh, 26 years, yeah. So I was signed on to 55. So the, the RAF will sign you on to age 55. Um, and I decided, I did, um, I can remember the day where I decided to get out. Um, and I did um, the body repatriation <laughs> for one of the shakies back to Poole. Uh, Afghan? Yeah, from Afghan. Oh, six. Um, no, it must have been, uh, you know, it must have been 2010. Oh, quite. Okay. Quite. Yeah. 2010. And I knew the guy anyway. Oh, no. Um, and then we landed, we, we picked him up from, uh, Lynham, flew him back to, um, and I'd done a couple of body repatriations. I'd done some back to Hereford. But this one strikes a chord because we picked him up, flew him back to pool, land on the cricket pit, uh, on the pitch at pool, and then but they've got like a little pavilion thing there, and right by the pavilion were his wife and daughters. So we shut the aircraft down, and there's nothing. It was a really quiet day, and the last thing to shut down is the APU from the aircraft. So the, APU, the auxiliary power unit. So it's like. Before you start, that gets the power to start the engines, and it just keeps everything. Once you shut the engines down, that's the last thing to be shut down is to shut the APU down. And when it does, in those, it had happened a couple of times at Hereford. It gives it like a, it's like a really high pitched whistle and a whine as it shuts down, and it echoed around the. So then, the guys come on, they pick up the coffin, draped in a flag, take it off. Um, and we all stay on the aircraft clearly because you know the last thing you want is four flipping idiots walking off while they're you know a really personal family moment. So uh, they t- they take the coffin off and the his kids and his wife <coughs> clearly were distraught, absolutely distraught. And I had so this was two thousand and ten. So you know I've got a son who's eleven and a daughter who's. Uh, she must have been about 15, 16, something like that, 16, 17. Um, and I just thought, do you know what? I don't want that to be them because we'd done a lot of that. You know, Afghans were getting more kinetic. We were right at the height of that. You know, we'd had, we'd had an aircraft shot down. The Americans were getting aircraft shot down. We'd done some stuff into Kajaki Sofler, which was an absolute... Shit! Oh, I've never been as scared as I have been going into there. You know, we'd left guys on the ground, so we they had to fight their way out. A six-hour firefight to get out. You know, we skipped all our crew duty and waited for them. They were like, you know, we can't come and get you fellas because we will get shot down. And we had to overshoot the landing, so they were in the we were in the descent. 
two aircraft and an RPG went between the aircraft and we're Christ. like, about overshoot. <clears throat> and then we're in the realms of, oh, it was like flipping Star Wars. There was RPGs, there was, oh, it was all kicked off. So I just thought, do you know what? My odds are shrinking. I've been lucky. I've done 20 odd years. I've had a great career. I don't want that to be my kids. So I can remember then we were going to fly back to Odium. I was like, right, I'm just going to go and use the loo before I go. And I remember standing there just thinking, that's it, I've had enough. That And that was my decision to go. Um, and then I put my notice in when I got back, yeah. And did, I think I did six months. No, three months. Three months notice. And then left. I had no job. <laughs> no, no, nothing. I was just like, enough. Enough is enough. And it was... Um, yeah, it was a tough time because my marriage had gone down a the pan then as well. Or it went down the pan. So I found myself sat in a house, in a flat in Basingstoke on my own. No furniture, no nothing. Just sat in the middle of the, middle of the floor. Gone from this big family, you know, boys' own stuff of SF helicopters, Afghanistan, all of that. Shooty, shooty stuff. To no job, no nothing. Sat in a flat in Basingstoke, marriage gone down the pan, seeing me, you know, being a McDonald's dad every weekend, every other weekend, you know. Fucking hell, mate. Yeah, 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 it was grim. Really grim time, yeah, oh. yeah. <laughs> Reminds you of myself. Yeah, go on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah it's yeah, a, it's a, yeah. What it's year a, was that? Uh, 2011. Okay, oh, yeah, 2011, yeah, okay, yeah. It's a really grim yeah. time, and then Five it, years ahead of me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's not, you know... Yeah, I could have stayed, but would it be the same? You know, would it be any easier? Would I have gone and done more Afghans? Would I have, you know, eventually run out of the odds? You know, you can't, you can't, you can't say, and I can't. What if? You know, so, you know, that was the decision I made. You make that decision and you stick by it, and 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 you you take what comes. And it was a grim few years, really grim few years. It took me probably. Till about 2015, 14, 15, to kind of get myself back on track. You know, I got some work quite early on. So, end of 2011, I ended up, I went down to Falklands and set up a search and rescue thing for a guy. Did that for six months, earned some money there. And then um, I got contacted by. Uh, a mate of mine who owned Amber Tiger at the time and they were missing a search and rescue and SF specialist aircrew guy so I came on to Amber Tiger and that's where that journey started but um, and again that hadn't been an easy however long that's been going now 10 years 9 years 10 years by the hour, 10 years yeah. so you know it is what it is you know I think we're all kind of from that background we're all you just get on with it. You, you deal with what's in front of you at the time. Yeah. Yeah, you're right about not uh, going what if. You get caught in the trap of uh, of doing that sometimes, don't, don't you? Especially when stuff unravels. Like, you, literally, what you're talking about there, the, the duration of when it happened, it's almost mirror image. Yeah. You know, sat, there in, sat there in the living room. Well, <clears throat> it makes me well now because yeah. it's fucking horrible, mate. You've been yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. It's horrible. It's horrible. Yeah, yeah. You don't know how you got there. You're like, you're, how am I in a situation? 
Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Five years ago, three years ago, I yeah. was this, and now I'm this. Oh, I know what. You I, know. Yeah, and and that's the thing, you know. And I thought I I sat there and thought that's the lowest I have ever been. And you question your decisions, like you say. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. So then you start questioning it. Then you start, and it's not until you go back. So you you know, my sister was mega. She helped me out really. You know. She's like, you know, you, you need to go and speak to someone, and which I did. And even that, you know, there's loads of stuff comes out there that you don't expect to come out when you go and have that counselling. And, you, you know, and I didn't have... The thing I would struggle with was um, I didn't have PTSD. It wasn't, it wasn't um, diagnosed as PTSD. It was, it was uh, they think I had, um, they call it adjustment syndrome. So I've heard this recently, yeah. Okay, yeah, so you struggle with, so on the on the Thursday, for example, I'd be in Afghanistan in an aircraft, flying around, doing what we were doing out there. Then on the Saturday, I'd be back home. The dog needs walking, you know, the kids, this needs doing. And you just think, fucking hell, there's bigger things to to worry about. You know, I, I me hand in a hole in a bloke's back trying to keep him alive three days ago. The fact that, the dog hasn't had a walk on a Tom Tit this morning is minor stuff, but it's not, it's minor for me, but for the family at home, it's huge. You know, that's their, they've been there worried about me, the kids, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And that's what I really struggled with was that adjusting from being out there to being back here. And then I found when I went outside, when I left, I still struggled with it. And I still struggled with the whole, I was really quite aggressive, not overtly aggressive, not like just randomly punching people, but aggressive as in, you know, somebody would say something and you'd be like, who the fuck do you think you are? You've got no fucking concept of what I've done or what I've seen, you know, and that is what fundamentally, that's when I said earlier, that isn't Andy. Andy's quite laid back, quite chilled. Yes, I have. My missus would probably <laughs> disagree with you, disagree with me. But, you know, I was really not a nice person. And that's the reason why, um, one of the reasons why I ended up sat on the floor of a flat on my own in tears. Yeah, it's that perspective, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you're maintaining the perspective of when you're back in that high-risk environment. Yeah. And then you're, when you're not, your perspective doesn't align with anyone else's. No. And then you seem completely, at times, irrational. Yep. Misunderstood. Yep. Not caring. Yep. You have a That's feel of... You don't care about anything. No, I don't give no, a I do. Yeah. Only, only the important stuff. Yeah, yeah, your yeah. bullshit. And you have a feeling <laughs> of... I had a feeling of invincibility as well. And I think a lot of people have that. When you come back from that kind of environment where... <laughs> you, you just like... Phew, I had someone trying to kill me last week. You know, I brought an aircraft back with bullet holes in it. What you, you know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do to me over here? Yeah, invincibility or, in, or inevitability. I, I, I got when I went out the second time. Yeah. The second Afghan time. Yeah. I convinced my. So I remember. I remember this in retrospect. Yeah. I convinced myself I wasn't coming back. Oh really? Yeah. Because the first one had been like, fucking hell. Well. I got through that by pure luck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no way I'm getting away with that again. Yeah. I convinced myself I wasn't coming back, which, right. which I acted like 
I was invincible. Yeah, yeah. In certain situations. Yeah. You know, I'm not. That's not me going. Oh yeah, I was fucking. I'm. You know, in in my mind. Yeah. You know. Um, hmm. I never had a. I never had a, a an inevitability. I didn't think. Oh, and then I came back, and that was a, that was a problem. Yeah, that was a bit of a yeah. Well, that's fucked all my plans. Um, yeah, I didn't have a feeling of inevitability. I had, um, and and prior to my last my last debt was all the Kajaki Sofla stuff. So it was like the high threat stuff. <clears throat> Um, Explain Kajaki Sofla to people who are, so who are people who have heard of Kajaki. But yeah, heard of Kajaki, Kajaki Sofla was like um, an area, an area up there where they were really air aware. The guys on the ground were really air aware. It's the village right next to the dam. Right? Yeah, yeah, the village right next to the dam. Yeah, so they there was a bunker system in there. They were really clued in about helicopters, about how aircraft were used to drop troops. Um, and we would listen to them on ICOM. I can remember going in. So we, when we when we ran in for one of the jobs, we we ran in there. It was in the lead aircraft, and we, to to bring a with, with a um, a cabin full of troops. Your manoeuvrability clearly, you're heavy. <clears throat> it's hot. The altitude is high, so helicopters don't necessarily work hot, heavy, and high. They they lose performance, manoeuvrability, all that kind of stuff. So we're kind of running in there, and and you're listening to ICOM, and we've got a signal, we've got an SF signaler on board. We've got you know they're listening, and we've got the squadron sergeant major. I think it was Hereford at the time. Got the squadron sergeant major. He's on comms. So he's relaying stuff to us. So we're now got the aircraft. We've got. We're talking to the troops. We're talking to the SSM. We're talking to the SIGI. We're talking between ourselves, and we've got all the air traffic radios and all the other radios coming in. So it's quite a high workload. Um, and I can remember coming in there thinking, it's really quiet, you know, mega quiet, which is a combat indicator in itself. It's, re it's mega quiet, and we dropped the troops off. And and we we transited away, and I was like, you know, that's really bizarre. As soon as we, we then listen to the troops, they're in contact pretty much as soon as their boots hit the ground. We we thin out, and they're in contact. We then go and sit in the middle of the, so we would go and sit in the middle of the desert, shut the aircraft down, and just sit and wait for a call in to come and get them. And we'd said to them, look, you know, fellas, we need to be coming in to get you in the dark. Anything other than in the dark, we're hugely compromised and, and it'll end in tears. Uh, we get a call to come in. I can remember coming around the high ground and the Kajaki Softler opens up in front of me and I'm on and off goggles, so I'm flicking my goggles up. So we're kind of that dawn's just breaking. we got a Sea King, uh, a commando Navy Sea King above us and he's kind of, he's got a, uh, a camera on. So he's, and I can remember on the radio, he called to us. And he was like, lift the one, you've got Tracer going over the top of you. And we could hear the icon, and they're saying, wait for the big aircraft, wait for the big aircraft. And you're like, fine, they've said this a million times before. Then the Tracer goes over the top of our aircraft. I look out the door, can see it go over the top. Fine. You know, if it, if I can see it, then fine. Uh, the troops are all lined out in their sticks, ready to be picked up. We've got two aircraft. We're, sit we're slow because we're coming into land. Um, and just as we come to the top of the drop to start the descent, that RPG goes 
an RPG goes between it, and at night it's like a fizzing rugby ball goes between the aircraft. So we're only 20, 30 feet apart, and it goes between uh, at windscreen level for lifter two. So we're clear. We're, our first call then is overshoot. We're overshooting the landing. The what, does, what does that mean? You just go. You, you're not stopping. You're carry on through. Yeah, yeah. Well, so yeah. we're like, you know, we're in the descent to pick the troops up, and we're like, if we, they're in dead ground, which is great. But as soon as we get them on, we're then hot, heavy, and high again. So our manoeuvrability, and we'd already had one aircraft shot down. The Americans had had a flipper call sign shot down up there. Flipper, flipper was their call sign. It was just a Chinook. An American Chinook got shot down up there. In fact, I think they might have had two shot down up there. But they were very air aware. Um, so we overshot the landing. So, you know, one aircraft breaks one way, one aircraft breaks the other. And then you've got... It just fucking erupted. There was RPGs, there was Tracer, there was just fucking everything. And just as I would get to... I'd, I'd see a firing point. I've got the minigun in the door... I've got the, the catch out, I'm just, I've got the switch out, the lights on, I'm just about to deliver the good news. And the pilot, bless him, brilliant pilot, was a squadron boss at the time, Adam Wardrobe, top guy, top, top guy. He would be like manoeuvring, so then all I'd get would be like sky. Oh, fucking, and I think out of two aircraft, I think there was maybe the rear, the ramp gunner, the ramp crewman on lifter two maybe got a couple of short bursts off the M60. Nobody got any rounds down. We were just absolutely clattered. Um, and then we're on comms with the guys on the ground, and they're like, come and get us, come and get us, because clearly they're in a world of hurt as well. Having been on the ground all night, it's gone noisy, but we can't we can't go and get them. So we're like, if you make your way to the edge of the village, to the desert, we will come and get you. And we'll wait for you, and we'll come and get you. Um, and then they had a six-hour fight to fight their way out. And there's no worse feeling than overshooting that landing and leaving those guys. And they were like, at one point, they were up to their chest in irrigation ditches fighting. I remember speaking to the Ato afterwards and he was like, fucking hell, I'm only the fucking Ato. And I ended up fighting <laughs> my way out with a flipping SF squadron. Um, and we went and picked them up. Eventually, we went and got them and they were, they were fucked. They had a really tough time. They got, I think they got one guy shot in the foot. Uh, and one of the dogs got shot, which was more worrying. That everyone was like, one of the blokes has been shot. Oh, okay. And one of the dogs. What do you mean one of the dogs has been shot? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Is he all right? Oh, yeah, his foot's all right. Oh, yeah, fuck that, his foot. Is the dog all right? Yeah, he's back with the vets at Bastion. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> yeah, so it was kind of one of those places that you know we did that, and then they're like, we're going back in again tomorrow. And you think, well, if it was bad last night, they now know we're coming. And the following night, nothing. Absolutely nothing. Who are they trying to grab? Don't know. Don't know. I never... They all seem to be the same. Every, You know, you go into a set of orders, the, the description is <laughs> all the same. To me, I was one of those people that it, that it didn't bother me. I, I didn't need to know. You know, I, I needed to know... How many blokes, what kit they had, where they wanted to go. What they did when they got off the ramp is is not my concern. I don't, you know, as long as I've got comms with them that I can come in and do it if they need a call for fire and we can come and give them some air support, great. Um, but their actual job on the ground was just, that's 
Yeah, beyond my beyond my pay grade. Yeah, I, it's not that I wasn't I was disinterested because I'm I'm not. It's really interesting, and you're all there together. But you know, that's not my. I've got I've, I've got to worry about the aircraft stuff. I can't be worrying about what they're doing on the ground. Yeah, but it was good stuff. Enjoyed it. Most, but most of the time. Most of the time. Yeah. Most of the time. Yeah. Um, and then it was that when I was. That's when I left. You know, and that experience that I gained over the ten years of SF flying. That. You can't buy that experience, or you can, and I'll sell it to you. And that's where Amber Tiger came. Up and we started doing the consultancy, and we started doing helicopter training, and we decided to do, to go down a road of. There's a lot of people will teach you how to fly a helicopter. Cows get small, cows get big, you know, the up this makes gone down. There was very few people at the time that would teach you how to operate it. So how to operationally fly that aircraft. So that's what we started doing. So we had some contracts with the mod, we did some gunnery stuff, did some uh, SF Italian Merlins, did some gunnery trials with triple minigun fits with them. Um, triple minigun. Yeah, yeah. So they had a minigun, one in each door and one on the ramp, which I'd never seen before. And they're set up to put a minigun on the ramp of a Merlin, the H101 Merlin. Was uh, it was really quite good. I was quite. Why would so? Why would it? Why is it unusual to have that? Well, normally, because if you've got a ramp, you want something that you can like to take off. Take off to get vehicles on to get. Which was why we had the 60, so we'd put the tow ramps down and the 60, take it off its pintle and it fitted really nicely in between the tow ramps. Okay. So you could get vehicles on, we could get pinkies on, we could get Wimmicks, we could do whatever we needed to get on. Whereas if you've got a minigun and they had it like hanging from the, from the roof, if you like, but they, unlike the British military, they'd thought it through and it, <laughs> and it, would, it had room to get, you could get a quad on to the side of it so it's really good yeah yeah we went and did that for um leonardo or augusta westland as they were at the time then we did um uh, we had a contract with mbda doing the integration of brimstone onto apache brimstone missile onto apache worked with some really good apache pilots there. what's the brimstone well brimstone missile so which was fitted to fast jets they were looking at integrating that onto apache helicopters was it air-to-air? Uh, air-to-ground. Uh, air uh, really good. And we had a great two and a bit years, three years doing that. We went and trained the Mauritanian military in Augusta Westland 109 airframes for forward-firing air-to-ground gunnery. A lot of the contracts were air-to-ground gunnery based on our background and based on our experience in Afghan of having done that lots. Um, yeah, yeah, and then... It kind of the drone stuff started to become more prevalent. People were asking me about drones. Can we do drones? Can we do this? Can we do that? The helicopter stuff's still there, but it's kind of taken a little bit of a back seat, really. And the drone stuff is becoming more prevalent. So we've we've done some yeah drone training or done some work with some drone companies. How much of a concern is um, how much of a concern is drone use by terrorist organizations uh there was a swarm there was a swarm attack wasn't there recently in Syria, was there yeah, the first, the first yeah big one of its kind or well they're doing kind of they're using stuff like you go and buy a, a phantom a dji phantom 400 quid thing yeah yeah 
400, 500 quid, and they were putting a, a grenade with a shuttlecock feathers on the top and releasing it, just flying it over and dropping it. In, in Syria, they were doing that. So there's like your first nefarious use of a drone. How are they pulling the pin? I suppose when it pulls, it just pulls the pin when it drops off. Holy shit. So they were doing that, you know. So I think, you know, unmanned stuff, There's it's in the news all the time where there's South America, you know, I think it's global. And I think it's a big, I think it's a big thing, is the drone, because they're, they're, they're easy to get hold of, aren't they? You know, you can go and buy them, you can go on, go on eBay and buy them for 200 quid. And it gives you, it will give you SA, massive amounts of situational awareness, massive amounts of SA. Um, and like you say, you know, you could stick a grenade on it and you've got a, you've got an airborne weapon, haven't you? So, um, yeah, I think, you know, there was the tanker off the Gulf of, I think it was off of Yemen or off of that neck of the woods, just come out of the Gulf and that was hit by a, oh, it was hit by a, there was a British guy killed, a British SF guy who was ex-SF guy that was working as a contractor. It hit the bridge and that was an unmanned, that was a drone attack. Uh, in the Gulf, probably about four months ago, five months ago. To, to what intent? What was the intent? Don't know. Don't know. Did you hear that? No, it was kind of. It's one of those that kind of dripped through all of the unmanned. It kind of pops up in the news every now and then, and um, yeah, I don't know what the outcome of it was or who the. But how can you? You have all the restrictions over you in the UK. You're in, I think in the US as well, or any country sense where it's legal or illegal. There's certain things with Jones, but. Sorry, mate. I don't. I don't understand how you can be policed. How do you police it? It's so. It's, they're so available. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to police. And, and are they I, talking about restricting the sales of them? Well, that's the, you know that's the thing. At the moment, the, C, the CAA, you, you have to have an operator ID, and you, so everybody you can go online and you you do um, it's like an online training, and you register. So you register your drone, and it gets a, a number. You get a flyer ID and an operator ID. That's great. Cost you about nine and a half quid, or it did when I last did mine. That's great. But to me, that seems like the people that are going to do that are the people that are going to use them legally. <laughs> yeah. The bloke who's going to fly one into a building or fly it into a wherever, he ain't going to go online and go, oh, I haven't got my operator ID. So, you know, how you police it, that's the hard thing. How do you do it? You know, do you... Do you a point of sale, take a name and address, and then you record that platform serial number against the name and address, but then how do you go with GDPR? How do you go with, how do you know the bloke's given you the right address? You know, it's a, it is a hard one. It is a hard one. What about on the end of um, actual counter drone technology? What's the emerging stuff? At the moment, and what's what's cutting edge at the moment? Lots of stuff out there. There's lots of stuff out there. Um, I think there's um, the UK government. You know, the the Marines. There's a lot of stuff on Forces News recently. They've got a bit of kit called Night Fighter, which is uh, uh, made by a company called Steel Rock. Um, they've got some good kit. That's a that's a, a shoulder held counter counter drone EW system brilliant very effective so I've seen that working, working. Oh, I, the geeky side of it don't know don't drop the drone out of the sky yeah it'll when you yeah 
it, you can hold it, it the, the drone will just, the guy who's flying it will just lose all oh, control okay. of it. Yeah. So, it'll, so it'll do one of three things. It'll either sit in the hover, it'll try and go return to home, or you can lower it to the ground and you can bring it down and recover it. Holy or, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a really good bit of kit, yeah. That's yeah, yeah, it's good. You know, again, then there's like lots of detection systems. D-Drone do a good detection system. So there's lots out there, but there's also a lot of snake oil salesmen, you know, that are kind of, you go to somewhere like DSCI or one of those, you know, how do you prove that all this stuff works? You know, I'm only saying that about night fight because I've seen it work, I've used it, and I've been flying the drone when I've just gone, I've got absolutely nothing. And that's out to like 5K. So really good bit of kit. So I know that works. The other stuff I can't comment on because I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it work. But I know there's a, you know, there's a lot of it. So it's a drones. They're the next big thing. Counter drones. That's the next big thing. Counter counter drones will be the. Do you know what I mean? How far do you go down that road? It's like the helicopter stuff. You know, you do. You fire flares out, and then you've got someone that counters the flares, and then you counter counter. Yeah. Do you remember? I don't know if you were aware of it. It may or may not be. <clears throat> there was a big case, a billionaire, an American, American or Canadian, I think he was, a billionaire, who I think he got jailed in the States, maybe. He sold, talk about snake oil salesman, he sold. Oh, golf ball detectors. Oh, my God. To Iraq. Oh, my God. He was British. That, he was British, actually. Yes, he was. He, was and he name? made yeah, yes, millions. Yes, yeah, and they were like, and it was a golf, it was a golf ball detector. And he's got blokes out in Baghdad running it <laughs> over things, and they're going, yeah, yeah, it, yeah um, for detecting IEDs. Yeah, so yeah, detect, for, yeah, 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 explosives. Yeah, yeah. When I was working in Iraq, so when I was working in Iraq, the la when I I left Iraq in to private work in 2015, they were still using them. Really, you would pull up in a checkpoint. The Iraqi police would have this golf ball detector. <laughs> Which you could find the information online because it was quite high profile. Like they sold, and, and the Iraqi government they kicked off about it. He fucking sold us all this. We, well, one they bought all this stuff. Didn't work, literally. And have you ever seen them? Ever seen uh, them? I, I remember seeing yeah. the article when it came out. Yeah, comical, really They're comical, right? It, it's got a holster. You wear it on your belt. Oh, you got, got to have it. Plastic handle, yeah. like just a molded plastic handle, and it has um, like a, you know, in the old radios where you have a. You had a it, Extendable antenna. Yeah, yeah. Little silver thing. Yeah. S similar look into that, a little shorter, pointing off the front of it, and they would just walk along this car, waving this thing <laughs> up and down. I've got a little random cable off it, waving this up and down the car. <laughs> and, it, and they would never get a reading. It doesn't no. detect IEDs. They found, they found 1,500 golf balls. Yeah, 1,500 golf balls. And, this, and they, they, still, they were still using them in 2015. Yeah. He did get yeah, jailed for that. Jailed, yeah. And he made a lot of money in the tens. Of, I think he made in like the tens of millions for that. But yeah, you know, and you just think, fucking hell, fair play to you for having the kahunas to do it. Yeah. But I think you got what you was coming to you there. Yeah. I think we're going now. I guarantee this to be using them now. Oh, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, if, yeah, if yeah. Blokes listening to this, nodding their heads, going, yeah, they're still, they're still yeah. using them. Now. Yeah, still using them. Still got the golf balls in my bag. Yeah, um, yeah and then, um, yeah, we started. Amber Tiger was doing, we're still doing all those bits and pieces, still doing the drone still, stuff. You're still doing the golf ball detectors, yeah? Yeah, still doing the golf ball detectors, <laughs> yeah. I've got the new model, it has got two antennas. <laughs> um, yeah, and that was when we, we kind of, we got into the the gin world after that as well, yeah, yeah. 
So same business partner? Um, no, no. So uh, my business partner for the gin is uh, uh, an ex bootnik. Oh. So we were we kind of we met up doing something else, and then we we went out, got on the piss, and thought, let's have a go at doing. So we we were we were gonna do something techy. Like, let's do a really stealthy drone, you know, C3E, blah, 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 blah. Um, he works in the defence sector as well. And we were like, do you know what? I'm done with the defence sector. It's like, it's a flipping ball lake. And, and we were pissed and we were like, so we're going to make some gin. We were like, how hard can it be? <laughs> right, fuck it, we'll do it. So that was the decision made. So we, we started uh, Templar Spirit and... Um, we went down and found a distillery in South Wales, in Usk. Oh, nice. In Usk. Uh, went, and met, went and met Christos down there, and uh, we went in there. I went down to um, Usk. We got on the piss the night before, so we rocked up at the distillery with a, with a honking hangover. Goes in to see the guy about distillery. He's like, how much do you want? And we look, kind of looked at each other and we went, I don't know, 500 litres? Yeah, 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 I can do 500 litres, bargain. Um, what do you want it to taste of? And we were like, uh, gin, you flipping dullard. And he was like, now what, um, what, what um, botanicals do you want in it? He goes, uh, citrus? Yeah, 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 put some of that in it. So we left him to it, and then we went away, came back, and we did a blind taste test. And um, I couldn't believe how good it is. I, I took it home to my missus, who's a proper gin fairy, gave her, gave her the three the three the, down to the final three and she picked the one that we'd picked and that's what's ended up in there so we did a um and and chris my business partner he designed all the bottles he designed all the labels yeah. um and it started off as like a purple square bottle with castellated feet and it because we wanted to go down that whole templar knights templar kind of thing well, it looks like a percussion cup now it looks good it looks like yeah. Go on, sorry. Um, yeah, so um, we did that, and then we thought we'll keep going with the 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 black and gold came out, um, and it's been really well received. Wow. So we do a London Dry, which is that one you've got in your hand there, which is a forty percent, um, and then we do a fifty-seven percent Navy Strength as well. Whew. Yeah, yeah, it's good shit. It's good shit. Yeah. So um, that's the. That's the forty you've got there. So what? So it's London Dry. What was that? So London Dry. It's all explained on the back of the label. Oh yeah. So um, it used to be that it would be made. It doesn't have to be made in London anymore. It's just a method of making the gin. Um, so our navy strength. It's a navy strength because years gone by, they would store the alcohol in the next compartment to the gunpowder, and if there was a leak in the alcohol it had to be above 57 57 percent or above alcohol content and the gunpowder would still work <laughs> so that's why that's where the navy strength comes from that is quality. yeah yeah that's where the navy strength comes from so we've got the the, the 40 which you've got there the navy strength is the 57 and we're gonna we're launching shortly a navy strength spiced rum as well dirty templar rum and then we will also do early part of next year a navy strength vodka as well. Oh my god! Fifty-seven vodka, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's been really well received. Um, we're in a couple of pubs in a couple of places. Um, 
yeah. When did when did you start it? February. Is that it? Yeah, yeah. February's gone. Yeah, yeah. This year, yeah, yeah. I thought we've been around for longer than no, that. No, uh, you know our social. We've learned a lot from it. Um, and I, you know, the defence stuff's great. Amber Tiger's great. This is just, it's fun. It's you know, it's. I've learned loads from it. I'm on a distilling course next week because I thought one of us better learn how to how to distill it. So I'm on a distilling course next week. Um, and then we'll look at starting our own distillery at some point in the future. We'll have a Templar distillery, and yeah, and and we, you know, we've got people interested from China Whites and various other clubs to pr provide them. You know, if you can, we, we spoke to a club in Ibiza, which which kind of, and they go through high season fifteen hundred bottles of gin a weekend. Jesus, a weekend, one club. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a big. It's called Ants. It's a big club in Ibiza. Apparently, I, I'm I'm 52. I'm way past the discotheque time. That my that my discotheque. That ship sailed, my that ship that ship sailed, my friend. But um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. So um, yeah, that you know the this it's a there's a lot of gin out there. It's a really not really affected by the lockdown because you can buy it online. People buy it online. You know, it's a it's a huge industry. Do in you the have UK. similar regulatory hoops to jump through to tracking where it's coming from, where it's going, to what tobacco is? Uh, not as much as tobacco. Tobacco is really because oh we looked at doing. Uh, we spoke to a guy out in Cuba about cigars, so we wanted to bring some cigars in, and we would do the lot, you know, as Templar cigars and. With the box and the black and the gold, it'd look really good. We need to have a fucking conversation, right? <laughs> yeah. So we've got that capability. <laughs> it's you then... know combat. You know combat. I'm behind combat cigars. Me plus two others. Com. Oh yeah. You know this? No. No. Okay. New as well. Really. Similar timelines. Combat cigars. Yeah. Well, we'll have a chat with yeah. that. Definitely. You will fucking love the backstory. Really. Yeah. Family in Colombia, been rolling for two hundred years. Mega. They only so our cigars. They're only rolled for us. They only we're the only people you can get them from in the UK. You fucking love it, mate. Brilliant quality. quality. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I'll Brilliant. Yeah, yeah, mate. That's there's you know the, there's a lot of stuff that you know there's there's you. And they're those. fucking awesome. That's the thing. Yeah. That, you know, there's a lot of guys that you've done those cigars. You know, we've done this. You've got uh, Green Beret coffee. You've got contact. You've know, got all these guys that are doing these kind of, and they've they've moved away from the military. They're still trading on the military stuff, but you know, I think it's mega. I think it's brilliant. People are just more entrepreneurial now. I, I, well, I no, think they're so. more willing to take a risk. I think, I think it's. I think the only reason is because it's it, because internet, and you can see it happening. You can yeah. see it's just more. Well, internet, one from the oh, you can see other brands doing it. Yeah. But, oh yeah, like you said, Green Beret Coffee, Contact Coffee, Sinita's Guild, all of those. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they can do it, so I'll try, I'll try doing yeah. that because they make they've been successful. And the other one is. All the information set to set up a company. You, you know, before, if you think before the internet, yeah, yeah. Like, set up a company, you'd be like, ooh, yeah, that yeah, seems yeah. like it's difficult or, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it, not, it, it's it no, really not at all. Really and, you, and you think, you know, the, the advent of social media, love it or hate it, yeah, out in six months, you know, we've got over four and a half thousand followers on, on Instagram and they, they interact. You're interacting on them. Facebook has been really good for us as well. Love it or hate it. Um, and I think 
that's the way to market this stuff, you know, to get interaction with people that you can kind of, what we do with ours, you know, we put a little card in with each bottle that we sell, you know, take the photo of Templar and wherever, you know, best one wins, best one at the end of the year wins a bottle. Uh, and we also do limited edition. So we did a commando bottle for the core birthday and we did uh, a poppy version for remembrance. So the, the commando one's got green wax. Oh, yeah. And a commando dagger on the front. And the poppy one has got um, red wax and a, and a poppy on the front. And we've ten pound from each bottle goes to the Royal Navy and Royal Marines charity from the limited edition bottles. So it was nice to kind of tie it in, give something back. They look after, you know, especially with my background as a as an ex Matlo, Chris as an ex bootneck, that it kind of tied in nicely with that. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's good. Oh, it's cool. It's man. good. Right. Yeah, it's right. good. Um, and thank you for the bottle. That's all right. Pleasure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I did think he'd been around for longer than that. Yeah. No, it's it's, it, well, that's you know, oh, we're clearly doing something right, aren't we? But it's also this. It sounds like. It's an old school brand, yeah. Templar Gin. Yeah, like Templar Gin. Yeah, we've been around for donkeys. And I, I can't even remember where we came up with it. I, you know, we've spoken to a couple of companies that are interested in it. They're going, fuck, your marketing. How, did you come, how much did you throw at marketing to get, you know, and brand design and brand awareness to get that? And we were like, oh, we were sat on a gym ball in Chris's office <laughs> yeah. and we came up with it. And they were, you know, yeah. We've kind of we we've just kind of hit it nicely. The brand's good, you know. It's been really well received, and more importantly, it tastes good as well. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice Mediterranean tonic. With, oh, check me out. Nice Mediterranean tonic with a bit of grapefruit. Belting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Good, yeah. Good. yeah. What have we not covered? What have we not covered? Uh, that we wanted to cover. I think we've done everything, haven't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've enjoyed it. Templar Gin, how do people um, find it? You can go on our website and get Templar Gin, uh, templarspirit.co.uk on there. Uh, we're going to do a Black Friday sale coming up shortly. Um, yeah, and then just keep an eye out for the rum. We're going to do a rum. We want to do a, you know, we've been really well received. We're really lucky that we've got the ex-military community that kind of get behind. They're like, oh, the lad's doing it. We'll get behind it. And um, yeah, but it's great. You know, the brand's good. Um yeah, so if you want to go and get it on there, and we'll ship it out to your ships all around the UK, not drama. Great. What about overseas? We can do overseas. Postage is a, a bit of a drama, and clearly shipping alcohol, especially oh, shipping 57% yeah. alcohol. But it's doable. It's doable. It just may take a little longer, but we can do it overseas, yeah. Cool. Awesome. Mate, been a pleasure. Absolutely, mate. Yeah, it's not as bad as I thought. I thought I was going to get ringed there, but it's all right, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've had a good time. Thank you very much. No worries, mate. Cheers. That's it. Thank you for listening. Remember, you can become a HR patron. Go to patreon.com forward slash HK podcasts or go on to the podcast website and um, just hit become a patron. Support me that way. I really would appreciate it. And you'll become part of an initial group of uh, other HR patrons. Access to some private areas, private collaborative groups, and all sorts of other stuff. All the details on the website on uh, patreon.com forward slash HK podcasts. 
Got a shout to the sponsors. Rugby for Heroes sponsored the podcast today. They've got more events coming up to raise money for military charities. They've got two events in January coming up. I'm not sure if the beans have been spilled yet fully on those details. I know the Supper Club has been shared. I think it's been shared. That's mid-Jan. And there's another event in January which has not been shared yet, but I'm sort of telling you about it now. End of Jan. End of Jan. Put it in your diary. Rugby for Heroes event. Rugbyforheroes.org is the website. On social media, they're at rugby number four heroes thank you to mike and uh, everybody rugby heroes for all that you do supporting the military community also sponsoring the podcast today with the aardvark group who provide defense and security solutions for a complex world they develop and deliver highly impactful technical solutions through the deployment of innovative technologies techniques services and people awesome people at aardvark group a significant percentage of the aardvark group's workforce are ex-military. They've been rocking and rolling since 1982, saving lives, protecting people and assets around the world. They also have an online shop where you can go and pick up some kit if you work in a post-conflict zone. It may help you, you may need it. Trauma packs and stuff like that. There's also obviously Aardvark Group merchandise. Aardvark.group for the website and when you check out at the at the shop, get uh, put in the discount code H-H-O-U-R. H-H-O-U-R. You will get a discount exclusively for HR listeners. Also sponsoring the podcast today with DevSock. Surround yourself with like-minded people who enjoy fizz, who care about others, who want to improve themselves on a daily basis. Do it. That's DevSock, the development society. Also, go to the shop, check out the shop, devsock.shop. And while you're on that website, sign up for the Daily Waves newsletter. Get all the gen, relevant gen, straight to your inbox on a daily basis. Invites to events invites to help improve yourself improve your situation whether you think you've got a good situation or not why not try and better everyone wants to be a little bit better a little bit better off a little bit um a little bit happier a little bit healthier devsock can help you do that devsock.shop for the website sign up for the daily waves newsletter and follow them on social media just look for the development society finally sponsoring the podcast with combat cigars the first british military veteran-owned cigar company in the UK. The only British military veteran-owned cigar company in the UK. When you're thinking of cigars for your event, when you're thinking of buying cigars for anything, when you're thinking of cigars in general, don't just think cigars, think combat cigars, think combat cigars, buy veteran-owned, okay? Our cigars are rolled by a family who have been doing it for 200 years. These cigars are fucking incredible. Even if I do sit out so myself, I'm one third of this company of Combat Cigars. Very glad I am part of it. It has surpassed all my expectations. The cigar is incredible. I know several people who now default to Combat Cigars when they want a proper good quality smoke. Suitable for connoisseurs or people new to cigar smoking. Go to Combat Cigars, the Cody EK, and get your cigars. That's it. Thank you for listening. Thank you to all of my H-Hour patrons. If you're a H-Hour patron, listen to this. I truly appreciate you. Thank you to everybody who listens to this podcast. I truly appreciate you too. Until the next time, out. <laughs>